and welcome to yet another edition of Hunter Gatherers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson Stories, broadcasting from our studios on Historic Magazine Street in New Orleans. As always, I'm Christopher Tidmore, and joining us from the gorgeous coast of Maine is our host for today, Curtis Robinson. And uh, how are you, Christopher? I do well. We are on the edge of Mardi Gras, you know, something Hunter always got a kick out of seeing in New Orleans and rarely ever avoided. So, uh, you know, it's um, it, it, things are going well here, if a, if a bit chaotic, you know. Uh, literally, there was a marching crew in front of our studio window just a few minutes ago. It is February. That is very early for Mardi Gras, is it not? It is. People don't understand this, but Mardi Gras is tied to Easter. It is actually, it's it's actually not Mardi Gras. It's called Carnival, and Carnival means farewell to the flesh, and it's the period of time that you're eating as much meat and celebrating as much before you give it up for 40 days and 40 nights of Lent, which means Mardi Gras Day, Fat Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday, is the day before Ash Wednesday. So everybody's like, why can't you just set a fixed Mardi Gras day? Trust me, we in New Orleans would like to. We're kind of bound by the Roman Catholic Church when they set Easter. So it's not our fault that Mardi Gras this year is on February 13th, and it can be as late as March 13th, depending upon the year. So so you're competing for attention with the Super Bowl. Yes. And, uh, well, and all the and that. all the Taylor Swift fans, most of whom who had never watched a football game and are to- totally tied to whether Travis Kelsey will say "I love you" to Taylor Swift one more time. You know what? I I I, I fought against it for a while, but now I'm all in. You know, um, because of a sportscaster, one of those TV sportscasters, they were asking, and he said, "I don't care. I am now cool to my teenage daughters, so I don't care." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, who cares? It's uh, uh, it's it's great. It's it's, uh, it's it's reminiscent of Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe, and and uh, you know, there you have it. It's- Look, the NFL spent about it took them about oh about ten seconds to start hawking Kansas City merch to Swifties. So you know, it's uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we should. I think most people listening to this show would know you, of course, Hunter and. The, the Super Bowl piece is still classic, classic thing. And then, you know, I spent, I was trying to remember, I think I watched seven Super Bowls uh, at Owl Farm with Hunter. And it was, uh, there was nothing like it. It was uh, usually a, a hot room. I, I remember my uh, favorite guest was the the immortal Ed Bradley. He had he had played semi-pro football. And he was, was very good. But, but we did then what people do now because we would bet you could bet on every play if you wanted to not just outcomes but whether it be a pass or, or a run or uh, a variety of things but you you could, uh, it could it could get pretty hectic if you if you wanted to and then of course you could sit it out if uh, uh if you were losing uh, but you know hunter of course considered football and politics um I, I'm trying to remember Mrs. Kirk's English class. Uh, are they analogous? I, I would say that he, he analogous would be a good word, metaphorically parallel, perhaps. But there are two teams in football, which there normally is in politics, and this year there's more than two teams. Though I'm I'm rather astonished when you think back to 2020, the Super Bowl was being used for political ads. I mean, after all, you remember uh, President Michael Bloomberg was going to predicate his entire run for, for the White House on his Super Bowl ads. What did he spend, $60 million and was out in two weeks later or something? Something like that. But, yes. 
many, many people. I remember, uh, uh, was it last year we had all the um, those wonderful Bitcoin ads that uh, it later came out, like how much they had to be the Tom Brady's of the world to be in those, and that great. Uh, well, we'll 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 no reason to go into Bankman Freed here, but we'll we'll leave it at that. And so. It is predictions time, and and one of the ways I think politics has become even more like football is that it used to be you could make sports bets or or predictions without it people thinking you were a fan of the team, but but that went away decades ago. If I think the Eagles are going to beat the Giants, then I must be an Eagles fan, period. No analytics or anything, and that must be the outcome that I want. So Hunter always cautioned against betting with your emotions or or loyalties uh in well, fact he he always said he got the nixon mcgovern predictions uh maybe the worst prediction of his life sports or politics because he bet with his emotion instead of his, his instincts so and i've noticed that with and i would go back to the trump election in 2016 that's right isn't it that yeah it's like a long time ago now and when I started telling people that I thought Trump would win, say, "Oh, so now you're 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 a Trump fan," and it, and I and it's that way now. I, mean, I have almost stopped giving honest predictions on politics because people are now sports fans. Politics has become like sports, where you know, if you're a fan of a team. You can you that that team can do no wrong. And this and is and this the other team. It's the opposite. And obviously, we've been doing our you know uh, seventy two to seventy four look of you know the fiftieth anniversary of fear and loathing on the campaign trail seventy two, and we've been doing it twenty two to twenty four because we've been looking at the parallels to the seventy two race, and they're myriad. But one of them, I will admit, it's probably you know the Biden situation uh, is probably closer as a model to what's, what was going on with Carter in, in eighty than it is what's going on in in seventy two. But I, I think there's parallels. There, how many Democrats are saying to themselves, "Oh, we love him," you know, we, 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 he's going to win, and not looking at the national average of polls, not looking at the fact that here's the one that got me. Trump right now is winning the union vote in Michigan. Not the whole country, because we've got a lot of uh, you know union, particularly public sector unions, but he's, he's winning it then. So if you come out and say, hey, you know, Biden's got a real problem with the union vote right now, union rank and file seem to be, especially in, in the auto industry and in the Teamsters, seem to be leaning towards Trump, regardless of where the endorsements were, the UAW. I actually said that out loud. Somebody said, why are you saying such negative things and in, in, in supporting Donald Trump? And I was like, uh, all I'm pointing out is the statistical data that says if the Democrats don't do something, they're going to lose the election because that is this. And, and, it was, and, and I saw this it, it happen with McGovern. In, in in major points where people are saying no, the people will come around, and and and, and obviously Hunter was the one who was most governed by this, his hatred of one side and his love of one another, and not really looking at the statistical data. What's which was the fact that McGovern, by the way, just so people don't know, 
George McGovern was one of my professors. I, I happen to love the man. <laughs> I interviewed him on the was one of my first people on the radio as it, as as he was. It, 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 this is not a personal thing, but he would have been the first one to tell you that there was a lot of positive emotions that didn't kind of line up with the way people were voting. He was actually George McGovern was the most honest about his race than any person I've ever met. So, yeah. Well, wait a minute. I'll find it here. I actually did research for it for today because we're going to get the predictions. We're going to get, it's going to be a predictions podcast. But uh, let me read from uh, Fear and Loathing seventy two campaign trail book. Um, I spent about two weeks brooding on this because I like McGovern, which still surprises me because politicians, like journalists, are pretty hard people to like. The only other group I've ever dealt with who struck me as being essentially meaner than politicians are tight ends in pro football. There's not much difference. There isn't. There really isn't. Between a good tight end and a successful politician, they will both go down in the pit and do whatever has to be done, then come up smiling and occasionally licking blood off their teeth. Well, there you have it. (laughs) There you have it. So predictions, uh, Super Bowl, that are, uh, are the Swifties going to be happy, or is Taylor yes, going to run into the so. field? Uh, we we got to start I with think that so. one. My wife is a Kansas City fan. I'm, I don't have strong feelings. It's a quarterback league. I'm going to go with Kansas City, and there there you have it. By uh, the way, uh, uh, Kansas City is the uh, is truly the best named team for a location that I've ever seen because it, they managed to find a team name that only the New England Patriots do this better. They found a team name that crosses two entire state lines because this Kansas City crosses two entire states. Only the Patriots have that effect. Everyone else, you know, if you're in another state, it's like, eh, you might, you might root for them, but yeah, it's not your Denver, team. Yeah, yeah Den, Den, Denver's a Colorado team. They draw from farther than that, but I, I take your point. Yeah. The, um, and also, I mean, given our background, we could just bet on the uh, we could just favor the the city with the best barbecue. Of course. And I guarantee you, Kansas City has better barbecue than whatever that city is. San Francisco plays in now. Though I will tell um, you, I will tell you, one of the best barbecue places. And for those that don't know, Curtis and I have been doing a barbecue podcast for years, which you can get at SmokingMirrorMovie dot com. But I will tell you one of the best barbecue places I've been to in the country that actually has full pig, full hog barbecue that we didn't put in the documentary is in Oakland, California, because it was on, it was a, one of the original Chitlin circuits. So there is good barbecue available in the Bay Area. If you consider that the the, the area where the uh, where where is the stadium for the 49ers down Santa Clara? Yeah, it's in Santa Clara. So it's they not... don't even know where to have the parade. If they win, they won't know where to have the parade. Yeah. So, you know, I rest my case. They should uh, uh they should be like the Golden State Warriors and just admit that they're not uh, uh San Francisco anymore. But we digress. We, so digress. we will say we will say Chiefs, but politically, we're less than three weeks out from the next big event, uh, the South Carolina GOP primary. We are 48 hours away from the Democratic primary that no one even knows is going to happen Saturday. For those that don't know, something's happening in Nevada, and it's not the Super Bowl. Oh, and nobody's paying <laughs> yeah. attention to it. Yeah. Oh, I totally, see, I totally, I totally spaced on Nevada as well. But the, but the next milestone is the GOP primary, South Carolina, on the 24th of February which a friend of mine insists on calling democracy's last stand, which will be the Nikki Haley, Donald Trump showdown as much as it's a showdown. Yeah. I mean, 
I will, I will tell you, it will be conventional democracies, less Stan. What, what I mean by that is the beginning of the end of the American two-party system, as it's currently constituted, will begin depending upon what happens in South Carolina. And I can, I can pretty much guarantee you, uh, I know what's going to happen in South Carolina. I'll make the first prediction. As somebody who has known Nikki Haley for years, has great admiration for Nikki Haley, who will be voting for Nikki Haley? I'll say this out loud. This and, and so people know where I where I stand. Nikki Haley's going to lose her home state by at least twenty points. See, I agree on the outcome, but I, I I question the margin, and I'll tell you why. Okay, it's an open state. You don't have to be. You can you can become a Republican quickly. Uh, so yeah, I but not but not people, not day of voting. It's it's a month before, so. Well, then it's over. You you may be right. I it's it, I wondered about crossover votes in Carolina, but I don't know enough about the voting registration. I'm accustomed to the way we do it in the Northeast, which is day of. Yeah, it's not day so of. So that'll that'll be good. You know, Hunter once voted Republican. Um, I think maybe the only time is that he voted Republican, he switched over to vote for a sheriff's candidate in a primary. So he was the first person I ever knew who did that, actually, that he crossed over to vote against someone and then came, and then, then re-registered. I think he and Anita both did back in, in the day. So I'll have to track that down. So, all right, what do you, I all agree right. with that, Rich, and, my, and then my, what do you think happens after? Well, my question, and this is what I cannot figure out because I've, I've watched this convention, is the most important thing to happen that is going to be whether this is going to be kind of a, a variation on the 72 race, a three-way race, with somebody trying to run up the score in Appalachia, i.e. Mansion, or a four-person race is actually what's going to happen on or about the end of February, and it's called the Libertarian Party Convention. Now, why do I say this? Because Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is currently at 16% in the polls, and I've had Republicans tell me they will vote for him. I've had Democrats tell me they will vote for him, and without any degree of irony, and I haven't had that about anybody else. Even Manchin is like, you know, people might privately like him, but it's one or the other. He is going to try to get the Libertarian Party nomination. And this is, and it's interesting because in a strange sort of way, his biggest problem would be something, it would be an issue Hunter might have had with him. On the one hand, RFK is... Uh, on social issues, very libertarian. He's he's a skeptic of anything big, big government, big um, uh, big corporations. He you know he's he's got you can go through the whole side, but it, a lot of his anti-vax stuff came out of a skepticism of corporations. But he had the same kind of consistent skepticism of government. So he's he's an, he's an interesting position. But he's he he's got a problem going into a convention where gun control is the one thing that will control you out of the door. And he has supported gun control before, and otherwise he would have a shot at it. He needs the Libertarian Party nomination to be on the ballot in most, if not every state in the union. Otherwise, he's not going to make it. But if he's on the ballot, suddenly this race becomes very interesting. Because he's the only candidate I've ever seen, Curtis, that equally takes from both sides. At least the only candidate I've seen like that since either Ross Perot or a little guy uh, who was the governor of Alabama once upon a time. Yes, yes. Wallace, Wallace took from both sides, uh, certainly. Although I, I would argue he took he took more from the conservative side than than. But but yes, he was an up and comer 
and uh, uh, and a big part of the '72 book. So, you, what's your prediction? Do you think he, he gets that nomination? I actually, I've been trying to say whether or not he gets it, and I've watched that party convention before. It because it, I mean, it's let let let's just be fair. To become a a stalwart of the Libertarian Party, you got to have a couple of screws loose. And I, I say that as somebody who is whose politics are basically libertarian, but it's to be one to, to be in it. So I have absolutely no idea. I know he needs it to survive. He, he's he's downplaying the critical importance of it, but there's no way he can get onto the ballots. That's why we're not talking about Cornell West anymore. We were talking about Cornell West as long as he wanted to be on the Green Party ballot. The minute he he said, "I don't want the Green Party ballot for whatever reason," which I can't figure out. He ceased to be somebody who was all that important in this race. Why are we talking because about Because it's Man- all about ballot access. It's right? ballot access. We talk about Manchin because Go- No Labels has spent four years trying to get on the ballot, and they've got a realistic chance on being on at least 48 ballots. Do you think, do you yeah. think, Manchin, do you think Manchin runs No Labels? Yes. Either he runs No Labels or he gives the, you know, the sort of uh, uh, papal blessing to whoever does do it and supports them openly. There's nothing Biden can do at this point. Manchin, feel, here's how you found out that Joe Manchin is not supporting Joe Biden, and it's going to sound small. But Biden, if you notice, cut off the natural gas exports out of the United States. There was a new, um, there was a new uh, LGN port that was going to be built in Louisiana, and he cut it off. Well, a lot of that natural gas comes from West Virginia. People think of West Virginia's coal. They forget that it's one of the biggest producers of natural gas in the country. And that was, there was, the reason why Biden hadn't done that and given the information was all about Joe Manchin. He's not even trying anymore to, to keep Manchin happy. And that, that tells me pretty much everything I wanted to know. I think Manchin's running. It, unless, unless there is a more attractive national candidate who would run that he might step aside for, even run on the ticket of. And we've used the name Romney in previous times, but Romney's shown no interest. But somebody who has shown interest, who keeps saying she's running for president, she just won't be somebody's VP, anybody's VP, is the same Nikki Haley who's facing her home state. So what happens if she loses South Carolina, but it's close, and my prediction is wrong? It's still if she doesn't, she's not on the ballot in Super Tuesday. She has not run on one ballot where sore loser laws apply. There are no yeah. sore loser laws in New Hampshire or South Carolina or Iowa. She could. That run. is true. Yeah, that is true. So, is that your prediction or your spe- your crazed speculation? Crazed speculation at this point. If I had to, if 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 I had to play Haley. She's looking at this as, let me run up. People are like, why is she still in the race? It's very simple. If she keeps getting close to 50% in states, like she's in the high 40s, and she runs the table, and she's not winning, but Trump gets the nomination, if he loses, a lot of people will be like, if we'd had Haley, it would have won. There's an old tradition in the Republican Party, the runner-up, becomes the one who gets the nomination the next time. And I think that's kind of the psychology. Why is Nikki Haley running? Because she's really got nothing to lose at this point. As long as the Koch brothers and their network are pumping money into her campaign, which will happen as long as she's close to to Trump, then it will. Now, if she's losing states by 30 points or something, that's an entirely different scenario. Sure, and a lot of it is what's your day job. I mean, she doesn't, she, you know, 
uh, DeSantis took one look and said, you know, I'm going to go back and be governor of Florida. I imagine being governor of Florida is kind of fun. Uh, I imagine going out and getting beaten up on the campaign trail is not. So he went back to his day job. And regardless, Trump wins, Trump loses. He's sitting pretty for the next time, you know? Yeah. And and so and but that's why I don't think Nikki Haley would ever leave is she's also sitting pretty for the next round. But I do agree that no no labels has to have a candidate or else what are they for? If what the the numbers for people who don't want Trump Biden election are very high. I've seen them as high as sixties. So if that's true, then you're no labels. You gotta you just have to fold your tent. If you don't field a candidate this year, you should not exist because this is the year of the third party. Uh, well, I mean, and this, it, and I, I can honestly say, not since really the '72 race has there been this level of discontent with the candidates. And remember, the important part of that race is Nixon still won almost, you know, <laughs> 49 states. But it was, you know, neither the middle was discontented with both sides, which is funny because Nixon is not particularly conservative if you if you really look at what his record was. And I think the discontented middle this time is just it, it, it. There is, if ever there's a chance for a breakthrough, I'm seeing something different. I'm seeing that not only is RFK taking from both sides, but I, I think in, in, when push comes to shove, most of the statistical stuff says Manchin takes as much from Trump as he does from Biden. The way, the way, if you have to calculate it, is he takes independence from Trump that would have voted Republican and don't vote for Biden, but otherwise might stay home. So it's the math is a little bit different, but it's still valid. That um, uh, we And so I think when it's coming to predictions, here's what I'm, my prediction. So you ask me a question, I'll answer. Curtis Robinson, my prediction is that you're going to have a no-labels candidate by Super Tuesday, um, uh, it, it, or somebody who has at least said they're an announced candidate to get the no-labels nomination it will more likely than not be joe manchin or it will be somebody that he's put his imprimatur on that has a national thing it will not be a larry hogan as a fallback it'll have somebody who has a certain national gravitas and that's why i think there's still an opening there for nikki halley as for the libertarian party nomination i think it's 50 50 but i think it's a question of do they want to be a contender this time or do they want to be intellectually pure and i've watched the I've, I've watched the libertarians play this. I will say RFK is kind of a difficult choice because he's not a classic libertarian. Um, he, he, they had a classic libertarian as their candidate last time, the former governor of New Mexico. And, you know, it, 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 after surging to 12% in the polls, I think he got, what, 1%? You know, it's so... It's, well, I think the libertarian, uh, the libertarian angle is interesting. Uh, I agree with you about no labels, except I don't think it will be before Super Tuesday. I think it will be in the wake of Super Tuesday. I think that yeah. that they can keep their powder dry, wait until after Super Tuesday, March five, when seventy percent of the delegates or something like that. Yeah, I don't uh, think they'll be, choose their candidate. I think you'll have an announced candidate. Is what I was saying. Like I'm it, 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 Mansion or somebody that he has his approval will say I'm running for president on if the no labels ticket will have me. I would expect they would do that. I would, I think they would do that after because they would say, all right, we waited until now, but it's clear that this is what it is. And that that's when they'll do it. But I agree. They have to put a candidate in the field. And I, I think it's mansion. I don't, I don't think there's any way it's anyone else. And, and at that 
point, I don't know who who the VP they they have they have to balance that ticket. Yeah, no, I mean their own, their own rules would say they have to have a Republican if it's Mansion or a Democrat if it's a Republican at the top of the ticket. And we and we could see, I mean, the that that that'll run as a unity ticket, and yeah. you know, I I and and I know that we sometimes disagree on this, but I think it kills Biden. I think I think that whatever you do, I think Trump voters, to a larger degree, are Trump voters. I, and I don't think you move them from that. I, and I think that that progressive voters are progressive voters. I I don't think, you're, but I I think that the people who are not locked in, I think more of them will come down for Biden than Trump, unless there's a third party alternative. But that alternative has does seem weird. And, and again, we have to remember how small the margins are. Because twelve thousand votes in Georgia, where five million people voted last time. That's just not very many votes. Ten thousand people in Pennsylvania, you know, it um, thirty thousand in, uh, in basically thirty thousand in Wisconsin. And by the way, the swing. So just so you know, Biden won the union vote by eight points in Michigan last time, and now Trump is leading the union vote, and and and, and that's the margin of difference in the election. So that it it comes down. I, we're trying to make this comparison in this thing to 1972. I'm going to agree with you that Trump voters are Trump voters. Trump voters are sort of like Wallace voters writ large. They're not going anywhere else. Um, but what I would say is that right now, independents are so disconsented with the economic situation that they are leaning towards Trump, people who have not voted for Trump as it. And I think they're the ones that make, they're the ones that Manchin or RFK or somebody can pick up. Because as I've said this before, the Republican coalition is much more cohesive than the Democrats, Um, the pro-life voters, uh, economic conservatives, so on and so forth. They don't really compete against one another, but it's smaller. And so Republicans need two thirds of independents to win. Whereas Democrats have a much larger coalition, but you have people like environmentalist and union factory workers that sometimes go across, you know, go at cross purposes with each other. So, I I, I do. Th- that's where when I say it's taking equally from both sides, it's not necessarily the same party members, but the people who would otherwise vote for Trump, I think, would vote for Manchin if they've got a different choice. That's where it comes from. That's my logic in all of this. So anyway, but we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. But uh, um, you do think the more important choice is that uh, uh, Taylor Swift fans will be very happy. I have the over, there's an over-under on how many cutaways they do to Taylor Swift during the game. God, if only, uh, she, if only they, somebody had been, had, had been psychic enough to give her the halftime show at the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> it would have been. That might have been overkill even then. And, 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 you know, and it's not there, but, but there is wild speculation on how long it takes her to get back from her show in Japan. Uh, so to, to to the game, and I and I find that I find that endlessly amusing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find, I've seen I've seen no less than five talk shows, five national talk shows, calculate the the fact if she leaves her show one hour after it's over by eleven o'clock, she can get to Las Vegas by five p.m. or before she left. This has literally been an obsession with the national media. I mean, well, it's, it's, Vegas, it's Vegas, so she can get a police escort in from the airport. 
Yeah. You know, as long as she doesn't do like make the mistake I've made, which is stop at the double down. Well, never mind. That's, an, that's, that's another, another story. story. Uh, but the um, she will be on time. So any prediction? Uh, I got to say though, I will on the political predictions. It's got it's it's getting it's shaping up to be the strangest political season, certainly of my life. I think that the two things when you read fear and loathing. Campaign Bill 72, the two things that jump out at me as fundamentally different is how strong the block is to keep people off the ballot unless you're one of the big two. Like even no labels, I think, has 36 states and the other ones won't even let you try until you have a named candidate. The 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 way the system will say, to be kind, has locked out any competition to the two-party system to me is remarkable and, and frankly, uh, non-democratic. That's the first thing. The second thing is the lawsuits. You didn't see so many people trying to block, and that also comes down to ballot access. You're, you've not seen so many people in Maine. Of course, the Secretary of, of State has, has uh, attempted to, to block Trump from being on the ballot. But between that and the litigation, just the, the amount of law, the, the legal aspects of the campaign, I think I was reading that the Trump campaign, the super PACs, et cetera, when you, when you add it up, their, their spending on legal is approaching $80 million. Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you, when you do that, I mean, at, or at what point, I mean, Trump's only able to do this because he's rich. But it, it, what's interesting is the amount of money that's flowing in to the super PACs that have nothing to do with Trump's money for Trump. It, the reason this got so extreme that there's, there's a super PAC that is, it, it's not particularly unusual. It, usually in, um, a, a candidate will have a group of people trying to initiate talent and ideas for their administration and in the in the current political environment, the last since the uh, Citizens United decision, it's usually a super PAC that raises money to make sure they have a cadre of, of staffing personnel as policy, and they raise so much money for this staffing for, to staff a uh, a future Trump administration. What the pri the uh, electoral priorities will be that Trump actually called the head of it and said, "Look, you should give me half of your money because you're only raising it because of me." Because they had so much money in the bank. By the way, that's illegal, but it didn't stop Trump from making the phone call. But it it was it shows you that a lot of if you want to you want to do predictions, follow the money. Right now, major contributors who don't have a personal animus with Trump, like the Koch brothers, um, are putting their money where their mouth is. They are assuming he's going to be president. And there's not a, a long way of going from an assumption well, to a reality. Need. That's what we need, Christopher. We need Gonzo Pack. We need Gonzo Pack. We, need we could just we could just advance advance the ideas of Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Maybe we should just choose president by who wins the Super Bowl. You know, they have to pick a team, and then we, we just do it. There. I think that would that would be a much better way. But but that yeah. so much for our, our our predictions for the next couple of weeks anyway. Anyway. Uh, we will be covering the South Carolina primaries in uh, uh, some detail, uh, and and the the lesser ones between now and then. Sorry, Nevada. Yeah. Um, 
And and so we're off and running. And, and with that, I'm looking at the clock, and we've gone way over. We have. So on that, um, folks, we always will we'll come in our next edition, give you some uh, some carnival satire as well about the presidential race as we head into the South Carolina and out of the South Carolina primary. But it, um, we're also going to be turning back to talking about something that's non-political, and it's Hunter. Um, back on the college tour, we have a couple of stories about Hunter and the college tour, including one of his non-appearance in New Orleans where he almost made it to the stage but kind of turned around um, to an entire room. Other well, the close, the, the close doesn't really count tour. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, yes. That we'll, happened we'll, many we'll, places. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit the cashiers next time. All right, folks. We'll see you in the next edition of Hunter Gathers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson stories with Curtis Robinson and Christopher Tidmore. See you next week. Southern gentleman hit the highway and gave us stories we could share of crooked schemes and shattered dreams of people everywhere. Road of whiskey screams and motel rooms where no one seemed to care. Road of deep, dark, secret places made us feel that we were there. <laughs>